Hi, everybody. This is Jimmy DeYoung. Thank you for joining us as we introduce you to the Zechariah Perspective. This is a six-hour audio CD series that I have put together on the study of Zechariah. Zechariah was quite an interesting person with a great prophetic ministry. We talk about the fulfillment of the feast in the book of Zechariah as we look at Jesus Christ, who will be the one, the focus of these feasts, and they will be fulfilled. The anointed king rejected, and then the rejected king anointed. Well, that's just some of the information you gleaned from this study of Zechariah. It's a six-hour CD audio series on the book of Zechariah. We have an introduction to this study we'd like for you to listen to, and then I'll tell you after you have listened to these next few moments how you can get your own personal copy. We'll do that in just a moment, but right now here's the introduction to the Zechariah perspective. Let me give you a little of uh, uh, background information. Keep your finger here and turn over to the book of Ezra. Because we're going to see where actually the beginning of the time for Zechariah to give his prophecy is stated in the scriptures. The book of Ezra, and let's look at chapter 1 just for a second. We'll look at the first six chapters real quickly to give you background as we start to study the book of Zechariah. The book of Ezra, chapter 1. The book of Ezra. Very interesting statement made here in the very beginning of the book of Ezra. Now, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stored, stirred up the spirit. The first year of Cyrus being the time at the conclusion of a 70-year period of time when the prophet Jeremiah's prophecy of Jeremiah 25 and 29 would be fulfilled, that Jerusalem would be under desolation for a 70-year period of time. And Cyrus is raised up as king of Persia, and that he made a proclamation throughout all of his kingdom. He had now become, when the Medo-Persian Empire came into existence, and this is talked about in the book of Daniel chapter 5, Cyrus became king of Babylon. That's one of his titles, which gave him the honor of being the king of all the known world at that time. It would have extended in the east from India and included India all the way to Spain in the west. And this was the known world at that time when Cyrus came to power. Now look at verse 2, something interesting. Thus saith Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord God of heaven hath given me all the kingdoms of the earth, I've just described them, and he hath charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. He had been given a responsibility that he was going to have to build a house for God in the city of Jerusalem. How was he given that commandment of God? We don't actually know. Josephus, the Jewish historian, says that tradition says probably he was given the book of Isaiah and he read the prophecy. Keep your finger here. You got five fingers on each hand, so it'll work. One in Zechariah, one in Ezra. Look back to Isaiah chapter 44 just a second. I want to show you something. A hundred and fifty years before the man ever came into existence, 
150 years at least. Some have said 176 years. 150 years, verse 28 of Isaiah chapter 44. Thus saith of Cyrus, he is my shepherd and shall perform all of my pleasure. God speaking, even saying to Jerusalem, thou shalt be built and to the temple thy foundation shall be laid. Verse 1 of chapter 45. Thus saith the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus. A hundred and fifty years before it ever happens, God names through the prophet Isaiah, there will rise up a man named Cyrus. He will have responsibility for building the city of Jerusalem and for building my temple in the city. Now back in Ezra chapter 1, that's what he says. I am going to take care of my responsibility to build a temple. And then he goes to the almost two million Jewish people that are living in Babylon in verse 3 of Ezra chapter 1. He said, who's going to be willing to go back and to build the temple? And he starts looking for volunteers. He said, I've got a responsibility. I'm going to write a decree of the Medes and the Persians. That cannot be changed. It's going to have to happen. I will supply the need that you're going to have to start to build the temple. And in fact, as a special gift, look what he says in verse 6. Also Cyrus the king brought forth the vessels of the house of the Lord, which Nebuchadnezzar had brought forth out of Jerusalem and had put them in the house of his gods. Nebuchadnezzar, one of the reasons that the Medo-Persian Empire came into existence it was because Belshazzar, in chapter 5 of the book of Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar's grandson, called for those utensils that were taken out of the temple at the time when they, they came in in 586 to destroy the temple, took them back to the uh, temples of Babylon, put them in the temples of these gods that were not gods, little g gods instead, and he then on that fatal night brought these utensils out poured the wine in them, and in a drunken party, they were defeated by the Medo-Persian Empire when they came in in chapter 5 of the book of Daniel. Now Cyrus says, those that were brought out by Nebuchadnezzar, I'm going to give these utensils back to you. By the way, because those utensils were brought out, Babylon one day is going to fall. It has not fallen yet. Jeremiah 52 and 51 and 52, excuse me, 50 and 51, tell us that he's going to destroy Babylon because they desecrated those utensils that were brought out. But those that were still left, those that could be used in the temple, Cyrus said, I'm going to give them to you Jewish people. I'm going to let you go out. And then he raises up two very interesting men. In chapter 2, we start to see now those who are going to come out and go back to Babylon. Look at verse 2. Which came with Zerubbabel and Yahshua, or Joshua. Either pronunciation is appropriate, Yahshua, the word that in Hebrew means Savior, and the word that is used to speak of Jesus Christ, if you're in the land, Yahshua, or Joshua, represents the priestly aspect of those who are going to be coming into the land. He is a long-time priest. He was the chief priest at that point in time. He's going to be one of the main characters in the book of Zechariah. And Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel was the, of the line of King David. He was in the line that would come to and bring forth the Messiah. And he was the political leader. So you have the religious leader and the political leader being raised up. And then chapter 2 unfolds. All of those are going to be coming out. Look at verse 36. The priests, the children, and he explains uh, the, uh, the house of Yahshua, those priests that would be coming out. And in fact, he gives the number 4,289 priests 
are going to be coming into the land. Now, chapter 3 of the book of Ezra. I am teaching Zechariah, but I've got, I've got to give you an undergirding for what's going to happen in Zechariah. Chapter 3, And when the seventh month was come, and the children of Israel were in their cities, by the way, in chapter 2 it said they all went to their cities, and by the way, I want you to notice something. Over here, look at, let me just show you something very interesting. In verse 28, The men of Bethel, and in verse 29, the children of Nebo in chapter 2. That is saying that both the northern tribes and the southern tribes, all of Israel, not just Judah, it names it. You see, Bethel was one of the capital cities of the uh, ten northern tribes called Israel. And so now they're all coming back into the land. And they're back into the land, and Zerubbabel and Yahshua, or Joshua, are going to have to do something. Verse 1 of chapter 3. And when the seventh month was coming, the children of Israel were in the land. That's why it uses the word Israel there instead of Judah. You see, Israel is used three ways in the Scriptures. It's used to describe Jacob because God changed his name in Genesis chapter 32 to Jacob, from Jacob to Israel. It's used to describe all 12 tribes, and it's used to describe the 10 tribes in the north. But now they're all back in the land, so he's using Israel here. Uh, they were gathered back into their own cities. The people gathered themselves together as one man to Jerusalem. Then stood up Yahshua and his brethren, the priest, and Zerubbabel and his brethren, and they builded the altar of God of Israel to offer burnt offerings thereon. As it is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. They had a responsibility. The book of Leviticus lays out the sacrificial activities, what they're supposed to do. So they went to Mount Moriah, where the temple stood, Solomon's temple stood. They went up onto the temple mount, and they built an altar there so the burnt sacrifices could be offered up at that point in time. But all they built was the altar at that point in time. Now, this is, a, uh, this is uh, about 536 B.C., Look what happens in verse uh, 8. Now in the second year of their coming to the house of God at Jerusalem, in the second month, look over in verse 10, when the builders laid the foundation of the temple, they put the altar up, they built the foundation of the temple, and at that point they ceased their work. So they had the altar on the temple mount, they had the foundation for the temple laid there on the temple mount, but that's all they did. And then as we look at chapter 4 and chapter 5, we will see external oppression that's going to keep them from building the temple. But in addition to the external oppression, we will see internal depression. A group of Jews that have been in the captivity, 50,000 of them, actually 49,827 I think to be exact, come out of the land out of 2 million people. They've left their families. They're back in the city of Jerusalem. They've heard stories. Some of them have lived through this period of uh, captivity. They realized what Solomon's temple was like, a majestic building. They've got the altar up. They've got the foundation up on the temple mount, and there they sit. And because of external oppression, internal depression, they're not going to be able to build the temple, or they're going to keep from building the temple. And from 536 to 520 B.C., 16 years, they don't do a thing about building the temple. Now we move to chapter 5 of the book of Ezra. Chapter 5. Then the prophets Haggai and the prophet Zechariah 
are raised up. If you're reading the book of Ezra, when you come to chapter 5, verse 1, that's when you read the book of Haggai and Zechariah. These two prophets are raised up. A young man who is a prophet priest, Zechariah. He's young because Zechariah 2.4 says he was a young man. He's a man who has been born during the Babylonian captivity. Isn't that interesting? The only one of the prophets to be born during the Babylonian captivity and comes into the land and prophesies in the land. Daniel and Ezekiel, born in Israel, go into Babylonian captivity and prophesy. And so this man is going to come back into the land and he's going to be a young man, he's going to prophesy. But before Zechariah prophesies, Haggai prophesies. They prophesy in the same year. They're contemporaries, they know each other. One is a very practical, pragmatic prophet. That's Haggai. The other is a visionary. He has a desire to motivate the people, getting the message from God that he must communicate to them and tell them why they need to build the temple. Haggai, the pragmatic prophet, he starts to prophesy in the month of September in the second year of Darius, which would be the year 520 B.C. And he starts to prophesy in September. He has actually four messages in two chapters, second largest, uh, smallest book in the Bible, uh, in, the, you know, in the Old Testament anyway, Obadiah is smaller. And he's got two chapters here. He gives four messages over a four-month period of time. He comes out of obscurity. He goes into obscurity. We don't know where he came from. We don't know where he went to. And we don't know much about him, except he's an older man. He probably saw the majestic aspect of Solomon's temple. Now he comes out, and it's so practical. He gets down on his hands and knees, measuring the location for the temple, giving him the details of how to build the temple. And at the same time, he's out there working with his sleeves rolled up. He's telling the people, you've got to build this temple. He prophesies in September. He gets a second message in October. Then in November, Zechariah gets his message the beginning of his message anyway, in December, by the way, if you want to check that out, look with me. Look over to Haggai. We're coming out. Uh, keep, hold it. Just hold it. Hold it. Hold it. Don't, don't leave. Just, just before you leave Ezra, they are going to complete the temple. In chapter 6 of Ezra, we see they complete the temple. Verse 15, and the house was finished on the fourth day of, uh, on the third day of the month Adar, which is March, the last month of the year, which was in the sixth year of the reign of Darius. So it took them four years to finish the temple. They dedicate the temple, and then Ezra comes into Jerusalem to reinstitute the temple practices. But get over to Haggai just for a second. And it tells us that his first prophecy in chapter 1, verse 1, was in the sixth month, which is the month of September. And then as you look down to the second one in chapter 2, uh, in the seventh month, that's the month of October, verse 10, and in the fourth and twentieth day of uh, the ninth month, that's the month of December. By the way, that's an interesting date, the 24th of December, he starts this prophecy. Uh, there's some interesting connections between our Christmas and the prophets and what they do at interesting times of the year. You've been listening to the Zechariah Perspective. It was an introduction to the six-hour series, a CD audio series on the book of Zechariah. This is one of the key books in Bible prophecy. It's an apocalyptic literature type 
book, God will use symbols to communicate an absolute truth. But it reveals what will be happening in the last days, especially Zechariah chapters 12, 13, and 14. If you'd like to get your copy of this six-hour CD audio series on Zechariah, you can go to our website, www.prophecytoday.com. Go to the shopping mall, and they'll tell you how you can order your copy. But if you would like to call instead, we have a toll-free number for you to call, 877-674-3298. Toll-free from across America. Once again, that's 877-674-3298. May I suggest as quickly as possible you get your copy of The Zechariah Perspective, this six-hour CD audio series on the book of Zechariah. By the way, as you study through the book of Zechariah, you'll be aware of the fact that the rapture of the church is about to happen. In fact, it could happen before I conclude this conversation with you. And having said that, nothing left for me to say except let's keep looking up until...